Welcome to Coaching for a Living, a podcast for coaches who want to build financially viable coaching businesses and make a living doing what they love. I'm your host, Alisa Barkin, and I am thrilled to have you here. Are you ready to take the next step in your coaching business? Let's go. Hello, hello, onion rings. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Coaching for a Living. Today, I am joined by Rosemary Ravinal, and we're going to talk about public speaking. Rosemary is a formal international media executive and broadcaster who has transitioned to her first love, public speaking. For more than three decades, Rosemary was a senior corporate communications leader and spokesperson for Fortune 100 companies in New York and South Florida. In 2019, she left Univision Network, the leading Spanish-language media company in the United States, to establish her practice as a media readiness, presentation skills, and public speaking coach for C-suite executives in bilingual, bicultural settings. In 2020, she adapted her coaching model for the virtual stage and created ZoomScore, based on 10 essential elements of professional video meetings. Her first book, titled the Joy of Thinking Out Loud will be published in 2023. Rosemary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Elisa. Wonderful to be with you today. It's wonderful to, to have you here. So um, let's go and jump straight in into this topic that we are both so excited about. Um, and I think we are, you know, some of the few people who get excited about public speaking, but we will get to that in a moment. Um, what I want to point out from the beginning is what I'm noticing is that most people, when they hear the term public speaking, they automatically think of something that's really formal, speaking in front of a formal crowd or delivering a formal presentation. But I know your view is that everyone is a speaker. Why don't you tell us more about how you see public speaking and what's your definition of the term? There is a myth that public speaking is something out of reach, something monumental, something that inspires fear in people, that it is something that is only for the few who were born with that talent. That's all wrong. There has been a, I guess, sort of a lore around that public speaking is the number one fear of humans. That's not true either. My, my philosophy, and it's shared by a lot of public speaking coaches, is that we speak every day. We speak thousands and thousands of words every day. And good public speaking is really good private speaking at the same time, because everything we say is an extension of who we are and our values and what we bring to society. It's a way of expressing our uniqueness to expressing our love to people, helping people rise up and be better. Everything we say, even if we don't have the use of our voices, we can use sign language or other ways. Our, our human communication is, is extraordinarily powerful and we misuse it a lot of the time because we're not aware of how we can polish our ability to speak, to be much more effective, be it in our relationships with our children, with our spouses, with our neighbors, with our community, with people we lead in a work setting. Yeah, I love yeah. that. What you say about public speaking, um, great public speaking also means great private speaking. And 
you know, I guess not many people realize that. And um, it reminds me of a story. Um, I think it was Seth Godin that said this. Um, there is no such thing as writer's block because when you have a conversation with someone and you ask them something, they don't go, oh, oh, I don't know what to say. And I, I guess it's the same with public speaking. You always have something to say, but as long as you think about it as something really formal and something that you're extremely scared of, of course, you're going to get nervous and the words will be, uh, will not be rolling through your tongue like, like they would usually do. But yes. you do mention the fear of public speaking and whether it's formal or informal, whether it's the biggest fear in the world, I don't know. But the, the fact is that a lot of people do fear public speaking. Why do you think that is? There is a hierarchy of human needs, right? I think it's Maslow who uh, has established that as the cornerstone for anthropology, sociology. And it actually ranks fourth, but it's not expressed as public speaking. It's expressed as fear of rejection, of not mm. fitting in, of embarrassment, of being perceived as less than. The number one fear is being eaten by a tiger. It's fear of being extinguished by something. And, and that's obviously primal. And then it goes down to suffering from disease and early death. I mean, the more morbid things. But if you look at the impact that not being included, being an outcast, being perceived as the black sheep, those factors have tremendous social and psychological impact on people. Perhaps that's where that fear came from. There is a, a wonderful anecdote, and I think you said it to me, uh, up, I think it's Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld, about people would rather be in the coffin than deliver the eulogy, right? Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's an extreme. That is an extreme. But people do fear, and I've coached people who are doing eulogies or are doing wedding toasts or are doing graduation speeches or anniversary celebration speeches. To them, that is a big deal because they are being put in a spot where they could be ridiculed, where it's people who who mean a lot to to the speaker. And so there's there's high risk even in this what you would consider benign, non-business, right, social, ceremonial setting. Yeah, absolutely. I think when it comes to speaking in public, it doesn't matter if you are in a close group of friends, like you would be when you're doing a, a wedding toast, right? That supposedly, that's a safe environment for you. Everyone knows you, they like you, I think. But still, um, perhaps that fear of rejection is even greater when it comes to the people that you love, and you don't want to be judged by them. So how do we overcome this fear of public speaking? That is a wonderful question with a wonderfully long answer. I have a short version of it. The most important thing, and I teach this to people who have that predicament of sweaty palms, butterflies in the stomach, legs wobbling, perspiration, all the typical signs of someone who is suffering from performance anxiety. What I tell them is to 
think about service, bringing a service to the people you are addressing, that you're giving them a gift, that you are giving them something that will make them better. So turning nervous into service is the way I like to position it. So it flips the equation. So you are at the service of your audience. They are not there to judge you, to praise you, to ridicule you, to laugh at you, to make funny faces at you. They're there to receive information, insights, knowledge that will make them better. And so you're giving them a service. And if you understand that it's not about you, you're not an actor reading the lines that someone else wrote for you. You're not performing in a formal sense. You are being you, giving ideas that will illuminate people, people's thinking. And so that's a gift. So if you look at it as you're, you're taking your nervousness and turning it into service, that does provide some comfort. Now, Alyssa, it's impossible for someone to say, well, I'm going to stop the butterflies in my stomach. I'm going to stop my hands from shaking. Sometimes you can't really make that go away. It's physical, it's visceral, but make it work for you. Maybe you clutch your notebook or clutch the microphone a little tighter. You use that energy to boost you up, almost like having a shot of very black coffee before you start to speak. So that can serve as an energy boost and don't spend your energy trying to quell it. Use it to your benefit. Yeah, I've heard this before, that feeling nervous and feeling excited kind of manifest the same in your body. So in instead of telling yourself, oh, I'm nervous, I don't know how I'm going to do, you can tell yourself, I'm excited and that's why I'm feeling all these things. But the mindset and the perspective completely changes, right? Yes. There are some performers who are headliners and they speak honestly about their stage fright and they never really overcome it. They keep it quiet you know, they may not be able to keep their lunch down before they go on stage, but they understand that that's part of how they cope. And that's, that's just a fact of life. And it's, there's people who have rituals such as uh, meditation, thinking. Another technique that I find works well is to envision a moment of great bliss when you were married or when you graduated, when you had your first child, when you saw the ocean for the first time, moments of extreme happiness. If you visualize those and have them very clearly pictured in your mind and bring that to the stage, you're already entering from a place of, of, of happiness. You, you've, you've changed your mindset. I like that. And um, I guess it's safe to say, at least that was my case anyway, the more you do it, the more relaxed mm -hmm. you become because it's something that becomes a part of what you do as a business owner or as an employee who has to deliver speeches or to do public speaking all the time. And it does get easier. So I guess that's the good news. Yes. But let me add to that, Alyssa, something that I have learned from professional public speakers now that I left corporate public relations and am now part of the speaker and speaker coach community is speak as often as you just said, and anywhere that you're invited. That would mean speaking to the parent-teacher meeting, speaking to a classroom of fifth graders on career day, speaking at a 
a city council or a community board meeting. Anywhere, anywhere that you can, paid or non-paid, speak as often and to, to as many people as you can. And that is practicing the muscle of speaking. And that's very good advice, which I really want to share with the listeners that it's don't save it for formal occasions. Speak your message or, or speak your mind wherever and anywhere. And it's always wonderful to tell your story, particularly if you're talking to, uh, to children or to adolescents or, uh, or to people who are in career transition. Uh, it's always inspiring to hear from someone's journey. Absolutely. And that is very good advice. You don't want to be speaking for the first time in front of an audience that maybe is your ideal audience and for you to be so nervous because you haven't done this before and not mess it up because I know you are of the, um, of the opinion that there are no mistakes, but it can be a bit more difficult if you're doing it for the very first time in front of the audience that is your ideal audience. Uh, but since you um, brought up stories earlier, I know that part a, a big part of public speaking can be sharing stories with others. Can you give us some examples of what tools we have at our disposal to make sure that we convey a clear message when we tell our stories? Yes, storytelling is extraordinarily powerful. We do it every day. We grew up with stories in children's literature uh, or oral history that shaped us as, as human beings, right? We learned to do the right things, to be courteous, to love our parents, to be respectful of other people, et cetera, et cetera, all those fundamental rules of being a, in society. But it was based on stories and characters. And similarly, when we tell stories about our lives or about our work experiences, people see themselves in the story. There's a, a connection. It's almost as if, uh, if I were to tell you that I was a stutterer in the beginning part of my life and that I struggled for about 15, 20 years with, with stuttering and give you some examples of some horror stories about when I was unable to control it in front of an audience or in front of a microphone, many people who have suffered from that would relate. And that connection is almost instantaneous and it creates a bond and a trust that is almost impossible to achieve with just maybe scientific words or words that don't put your personal experience into the picture. It's those stories that illuminate, decorate, animate an argument. And sometimes the most complex ideas can be best described in stories. The small things, the, the, the human experiences, it's always a wonderful way to explain complex information in a succinct way. Yeah, so yeah. stories can be really a powerful tool to maybe explain something that would either take ages to explain or the, the audience wouldn't relate to it as much if you were to use technical terms and uh, statistics and the science behind it. Because like you say, as human beings, we want to relate to the person that is in front of us telling us a story. But although many professionals build a brand around their own stories, their personal stories, does that have to be like this? Or can we also use stories that maybe are not our own? Oh, Look, there, there are people who are natural 
storytellers. They're the people who were born with a quick wit and a sense of humor, probably because they grew up in environments where they were modeling what they heard and saw from other people in their immediate families and communities. And I've always admired people who have that gift of being funny at a moment's notice, but you don't have to be funny and you don't have to have a, a, a life that was filled with colorful characters and situations. But you can collect stories. You can collect stories from newspapers. That's what I do. I glean the media for, for stories that I can then use as examples or use in my own work. And that's always very, very helpful because sometimes I'm not, I'm that kind of person who doesn't remember the punchline in a joke and say, damn, <laughs> I, I just forgot it halfway through. I forgot it. I don't have that natural ability. So I, I need to really work at it a little harder so that I can take these wonderful nuggets and put them to work. That's a wonderful idea to, uh, to keep a repository of stories somewhere so that you can then pull from them for the people who are listening to us. Um, a very good idea is to use your clients and the case studies that you have of working with them to turn those into stories and then use those stories um, in your public speaking or um, intertwined maybe with your own story because our stories always evolve, right? It's not a case of, well, I had a story and that's it. I don't have a story anymore. You are currently living your own story. So the story changes all the time, which is it's beautiful in a way because you'll never run out of stories or ideas because you are, you are living one right now, right? Yes, yes. It's a matter of also being very self-aware and aware of your environment. For example, I happen to have a large lake behind my house and I knew it when I bought the property and didn't really take the time to look around and explore living things and flora and fauna all around it. But in 2020, I started to spend a lot more time contemplating the lake. And I realized that there were large turtles inside, full families of, of turtles. They raised their little heads up out of the water. And then I realized that they eat crackers. And then I developed a relationship with these turtles who would come up on the rocks at the edge of the lake and eat from my hand. Then it became that every time I went out to that edge, that that particular spot, they would somehow know I was there and come in droves over to the edge and say hello, waiting for me to feed them. I would have never had a relationship with turtles if I hadn't taken the time to really be observant, to be contemplative, and to know that this, this natural beauty was right at my grasp and I had not taken the time to look for it and to connect with it. So I'm sure many people have pandemic stories where they did things that were unusual that brought them tremendous joy. Yeah, that's interesting. You wouldn't have had a relationship with the turtles and you wouldn't have had a story to tell about your relationship <laughs> with turtles if it yes. wasn't for you being observant of what's happening um, around you. And like you, I, I think this is a perfect example of there are stories everywhere. You just need to capture them and to be aware of what is happening. And also, I think this is a skill to, to be able to make the connection with that story and maybe something that's happening in your own business or in your own life, or um, be able to make an analogy 
so that you can use that story in a relevant way for the audience. And indeed, you can take stories like, I'm making this up now, I haven't used this, the turtle story yet, but it can be a metaphor for really being, if you are a leader and you are responsible for a team of people, really being observant of them as individuals, taking time to, to ask questions about their personal lives, their children, their hobbies, being observant about just individuals and seeing them as unique people and as opposed to a, a group of people who you're responsible for. So taking that time and the patience and developing the ability to see and observe better. So that, that can be a metaphor for a lot of different things. So it, it, it's all yeah. a matter of being creative and, and finding things that are, are not obviously connected, but finding the connection. I love that. Uh, we're also already venturing into territory of uh, how do you craft your <laughs> speech as a public speaker and how to use these stories and transform them into metaphors and analogies. We know that most of the people who are listening to this podcast are coaches. And as part of building your coaching business, it's inevitable that at some point, if you want more visibility, you will have to deliver some sort of speech, whether that is a formal one, like, I don't know, a TEDx talk, or simply mm -hmm. go and network with someone and talk to them, right? <laughs> if we were to think about a coach who is delivering a speech or a presentation for the very first time, what are the essential elements that they would need to be aware of before they deliver that speech? The advice I have is to not sell, to, to be hmm. an individual, to tell your personal story. And I happen to be a coach. I've observed that people will hire you more because they like you, because of who you are as a whole person than because you have a CSP and an MS and all the other initials after your name. Important, those are important achievements. However, when it comes time to develop a bond with a coach and say, okay, I'm going to invest my time, energy, and money in you to help me improve, it's really, it's really the individual that matters. So I would say, tell stories that are true to who you are, not necessarily that speak to your resume as a coach to all the unique things that you bring and the specialties and the domain areas that you manage. You can maybe pepper that a little bit into your, into your talk. But I think that if you speak from the heart and tell people who you are, what your values are, what you stand for, that that is the best place to start. I agree with that as well. It's mostly people need to first buy into you before they buy your services. And for that to happen, they don't, want to see you as a salesperson. They want to see the, the real you, not the professional, but the actual person. And if they can relate to you on a personal level, then you can move the discussion further. I wanted to add to that, that however, you want to model best mechanical skills. You yep. want to use your voice toolbox properly. You want to use body language properly. You want to use stagecraft and such. So you want to have certain standards that go with professional speaking, but the content, your story, that's something that should be coming from a different place. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, since you mentioned body language, tell us a bit more about that. How can we make intentional use of our body language to help our speech go from good to great? I know a lot of people don't know what to do with their hands. They don't know where to look. Uh, it's, right. a, it's an issue, right? I just re recorded and released on YouTube a series that I did on body language and body language in the confines of this rectangle that we find ourselves in when we do video conferencing with the idea that whatever you do in this limited little piece of real estate that you can also bring to a real world environment. And then I'd love to do another series that has the whole body. However, there's a lot that you can do and many people don't know the hands are always like, what do I do with these things? Do I just clutch them down at my hips or do I stand you know, straight? There's, there's a sense of uh, discomfort that usually shows in your face as you're standing there. Even when people pose for a, for a photograph, it's, it's usually, oh, how do I stand? Do I touch the person next to me? Do I you know, cross my arms? If you understand this ahead of time, then you don't have to pause. You just flow into it. What I say is your hands should be almost like highlighters or like if you had a little emoji crawling under your image, what would that be? And so think about it, it illustrates. So if I wanted to be very firm, Alisa, in saying that, that public speaking can change your life, I'm going to use something like this, which is a box technique, which is like a bracket. Imagine that there's two brackets as you would have on your keyboard. So I'm bracketing this, but I'm also moving forward towards the lens of the webcam to emphasize that I really think this is important. Similarly, using your fists, right? Using, uh, there's also uh, one that I, I love, which is enumerating. So if I have you know, three ideas, three tips for you today, I'm going to use my three fingers and I'm going to go number one, number two, and number three. It is a visual anchor also to help you follow what I'm saying and to keep the attention. So there's many, many ways that you can use your hands, even in a small space, to help your message carry and be remembered. Yeah, and I saw the playlist that you have on YouTube, and I'll make sure to uh, link that in the show notes so that people can go and watch these videos so they know what to do with their hands and how to emphasize a point. Because like you say, we are confined into this box, at least until in-person events come back to normal. Uh, we're, we're doing a lot of our work online, and so we're doing public speaking online. And uh, I find that the energy is a lot different compared to speaking in front of a live audience and being there in person. What other things can you share with us in terms of what we would need to keep in mind when we're doing virtual speaking? There is a, an acronym that I created that I really believe says it all. And I, I created ASSETS, A-S-S-E-T. And it's, it's a simple formula, which is the A is appearance. You know, when we are in this environment and when we are in hybrid, because we may be in, in, in situations and meetings and conferences or training sessions where we're working with people who are located remotely and they are virtually and others who are in physically occupying the same room. How do you divide your attention? 
but the people who are on the screen need to have a good sense of appearance of poise of being properly situated in the rectangle of being lit properly of wearing appropriate colors not too busy and not too flashy not a lot of jewelry being at least well groomed having your hair combed right having just a basic kind of pride in one's appearance so that's the a uh, the first s is staging and styling and and that's the background where are you what does the background say about you and what you do and what you stand for there's a lot that you can do to have nonverbal or uh, props or what we call easter egg uh, artifacts that speak to our passions uh, or our specific domain if we are into the arts if we're into dance if we're into sports all these things can be subliminally or 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 actually be like a theatrical background that can speak to uh, to our brand the e is energy and emotion energy as i modeled with the use of the hands and moving towards the camera and our vocal quality how we use our volume and pitch and use that to energize our presentation that also is highly important you don't want to be monotone and you don't want to be robotically glued to your chair you know just with your just your lips moving that's more what you might expect from an avatar and then the t is technology having a fundamental understanding of how to use your equipment you don't need to be a techie but know how to use your camera how to use your microphone how to set up your lights so that and and the platform how to work zoom and teams and so forth so that you don't waste time fumbling and can be confident every time you engage so the assets really i i think really summarizes what you need to do to be to be credible and uh, and authoritative in this space easy to remember and uh, yeah very on point i know there's another trick that you use um online an anchor that you call it to make sure that you always um, look at the camera and it's not weird to be looking at some technology do you want to share with the listeners what that is uh yes i have a pair of eyes uh, the an illustration of beautiful round eyes like a baby's eyes and they're uh, they're taped to the bottom of my webcam and i'm looking at those eyes as i'm speaking to you right now and that is the focal point where I, I, i've tested my gaze looks as normal as possible given that we are thousands of miles away so it's about training your eye to look at that spot as often as possible while then your peripheral vision is capturing what's happening on the screen it's it's a matter of practice but for the majority of the time that you're engaging try to keep your gaze at those eyes or maybe it's something else some some object or maybe it's a full photo of someone you love uh, you know a uh, a flower whatever it is but something that you can relate to but that is immensely helpful i know it's it really was a game changer for me when i discovered that if i look at two, a pair of eyes it uh, it helps me stay focused excellent thank you so much for for sharing that and for sharing everything you've shared with us today um what are you excited about what's next for you and your business i am very excited about working with people one-on-one -on -one in physical spaces 
and doing small teams and helping people come back to the physical world after having spent time in cyberspace. But using a lot of the same techniques, but bringing them into the physical space. So if we blossomed as public speakers online, well, let's continue to grow and expand your ability when you're in front of a real audience. And so it's, it's improving on what already exists and, and learning from that, learning from what we practiced and bringing it to, to the new normal, or I don't even know what to call that anymore because it's not really what we did before. It's a version of what we were doing before. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also excited about working with young emerging leaders. I think that there's a big, there's a great investment to be made in, let's say, early stage or mid-level future leaders who need to really, really get this down because it will be such a fundamental support for them if they can communicate their ideas at all levels to all people as a as as part of their process for for growth. Many rely on their intellectual abilities and their their knowledge of the industry, but their ability to even stand in front of a staff meeting and say words that are poignant, that are relevant, that open people's minds, that's a great talent that goes with the uh, intellectual knowledge. That sounds wonderful. It sounds like uh, you're going to have your hands full, right? <laughs> well, certainly, I hope that the universe blesses me with a steady flow of clients of, of, of the, with those characteristics. Another thing that I, I enjoy and looking forward to doing more of is bilingual, bicultural, so that if it's in Spanish and in, in English, the two languages I speak with equal fluency, is to help non-English speakers and vice versa deal with some of the obstacles that come with having a heavy accent or having a certain tension around speaking in a language that, that doesn't, you're thinking, you're thinking and translating in your head as you're talking. And that can sometimes lead to a lot of, uh, of discomfort uh, when you're on a stage. I know exactly what that feels like um, in the first few years of being in the UK. I was the same. Um, it, it's inevitable. Your mother language is a different one. And yes. in the first few years of being in a different culture, you first translate everything into your head and then you say it out loud, maybe not in the way that a native would say it, but in the way that you've translated it word by word uh, based on how that expression is in your own country. So that's a very needed service indeed. Well, Rosemary, thank you so much for everything you've shared with us today. This was fun and I'm sure our audience have found it very insightful and very useful because public speaking is something that we all do and there's no going around it. So thank you so much. And it was a pleasure having you. Thank you for the invitation. I loved it. Thank you, Lisa. You just finished listening to an episode of the Coaching for a Living podcast. Did you know that you can send me an audio message directly? Check out the show notes for a link that allows you to do that. You can use it to send in a question you have about building a coaching business or to simply share your impressions about the podcast and any suggestions for what content you'd like me to cover in the future. I cannot wait to hear from you. Again, check out the show notes for the link and who knows? Maybe I'll feature your message in a future episode. 
All right, that's it for today. I'm Alisa Barkan, and I'll catch you next time.